G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode, I reconnected with an old friend, Michelle Amerson, who is an OT and a yoga instructor and teaches mindfulness to kids. Uh, we wanted to have a discussion about mindfulness, but first we had to reconnect. For those of you who don't know, Michelle used to, back in the day, have probably the very first OT podcast. So we had a quick catch up and then we got right into the meat of the discussion. Look out for more Michelle in the podcast in coming months. But for now, enjoy mindfulness. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. It has been a very long time. I know. Really, really long. I was actually trying to think about when we did our interview. How long ago was that? Well, I think. What year? Yeah, I think when I found that Twitter stuff that I sent you the other day. Uh huh. So I think. It was, I think you released it at the start of 2013, which means we must have recorded it like the year before, like a couple of months before. Yeah, totally. So it would have been oh the end of 2012. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, yeah, 2011, probably 2012. Yeah. Because I was trying to remember... Yeah, and yeah, so you released it at the end of January 2013. Oh my gosh. Hey, and now we're interviewing in January. It's true. 2020. It's crazy. It's only been, what, seven years? Totally. <laughs> Times have changed. I, I think podcasting's a little bit easier nowadays. Back in the day. Yeah, I know. I'm curious to chat with you about that because I think. Um, even like social media is so different. I mean, like, I feel like you've always been really great at that, like Twitter and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, like Instagram is so big now. It's just so, it's such a different world. And I'm sure the editing is a lot, probably a lot easier in some ways. Have I always been good or just stupidly addicted to weird things? <laughs> I think I just immerse myself until I learn how things work. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I'm, like, good at it, but I've been exposed to it enough to know a couple of things. Right. So, but wow. it, even, I mean, even that, when we recorded that, I don't even think Instagram was a thing. That's what I was trying to think back on. Yeah. Obviously, Twitter was, because that's where like I found it. that message, but I, yeah, I, don't I, mean, think, yeah. I don't think Instagram was, uh, like, an actual thing. When when we recorded that, because I think it went out. That is such a strange thought. <laughs> when you posted it, like I remember you used to have a Facebook page. What was it called? It was Go To. OT Go OT To. OT Go yeah. To. Uh -huh. I haven't tried to look up the website, but it's gone. Yeah, that was part of the, the downfall was the website got a virus and stuff like that. So, yeah. I still have all of them. And I really? actually was thinking. Yeah, they're... Um, yeah, I have them stored on my hard drive. So I was like, I should go back and listen to. I would be terrified to listen to that. Really? Because I have no idea. <laughs> I actually, I would be actually, I would be curious to listen to it, just to see like how things have changed. Totally. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, just like where your career's taking you. Obviously, now you have 
the Occupied podcast. I think it'd be really, I think that's the cool thing about podcasting is that you get to like have these glimpses back in time where a lot of us, we don't really remember specific details or things like that. So well, if you, I might be if you dig it myself. up, if you dig <laughs> it up, send it to me because I want to have a listen now. Now I'm curious. You've got me curious. I think I might, I might be horrified too to listen to myself. Like, you know, so <laughs> together I, we'd be like, Oh, so naive. <laughs> I remember, I remember we did it over Skype and I remember, mm-hmm. I think you had to, do it at your dad's work because he had some uh-huh. setup. Yeah, the program, uh huh. And uh, like I remember it being like a really complex thing, and I had no idea what you were doing or how it was working. I didn't even. Oh I think I think that was when I actually. I don't think think I'd listened to a podcast before I found you on Twitter. And then I was like exploring podcasts. I'm like, oh, these things are pretty cool. Right. Yeah. But I would think that you would probably have been the one of, if not the very first OT podcast. I think so. I think I was. I mean, to my knowledge um, at the time, yeah. Because I think Pretty crazy. when, but it's amazing. To me, it's amazing that like there's more and more starting like right now, but that seven-year gap, there really wasn't, like the oldest one that I know of now probably still only be I'd say a maximum of three years old oh really like of the current ones that are out at the moment and I know there's been a couple like sporadic ones like I know AOTA tried to put one out and I think they put out an episode like once a year or something um Mm -hmm. the British Association did something very similar they put out like once a year I think I don't know if it was around conferences or different things but on terms of like regular episodes with regular therapists there was Mm -hmm. like this big gap of nothing after you finished until i'm trying to think of who of the ones probably seniors flourish would be close to one of the first ones of the current lot and that would be i think mandy started that in don't kill me mandy but i think 2017 okay so so still like a pretty yeah. It's a big gap. Pretty big gap. And when did you start occupied? I started this in May or March, two thousand eighteen. So it's okay. not quite two years. Yeah. I think it'll, nice. I think well, it's congratulations. May. Thank you. But like I yeah. said, like I said, it's much easier. I feel like it's a much easier process nowadays than yeah. it would have been back in the day. Well, and Zoom is awesome. I think that it makes it a lot more convenient to be able to like see each other and like you can record it from there. Yeah. That's right. Cause we didn't have video or anything either. No, I think that you were, <laughs> I think my video didn't work. So you were just talking to a blank screen. <laughs> which I forgot was, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I don't think that I had any of that video equipment. So I was just recording your voice. And so you were just staring at like, or maybe do you, I think so. Yeah, because I because you sent me a photo after of like this because I was asking you like what the setup looked like, and you sent me photos after. So yeah, we yeah. wouldn't have had any video, <laughs> which is kind of a tough interview to just be staring at a, yourself. <laughs> I have done it since. Uh, have you done it? it is. 
it's much it is different than being able to actually see each other which right. is which is much easier being able to see and even like like a little behind the scenes podcaster thing like if stuff goes wrong and you can like sign so the other person keeps talking like being able to do that uh-huh. and have that interaction you couldn't do it before because totally. <laughs> that's the other thing that happened when we were recording was there was a storm and I have a feeling it either dropped out or we had to reschedule because you had a massive storm and like or were worried oh, about a massive storm oh, what a snowstorm yeah yeah it was January you have a good memory for random things, not for like things that are genuinely important. I usually will forget those immediately, but for random facts and things that happen, I tend to hoard those things like they're treasure. Well, very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much. No, actually, the other thing I was going to ask because I couldn't remember this. You were still a student when we did that. Yeah. So I started the podcast when I was in my final year of graduate school, um, getting my master's degree. So, yeah, I I I don't even think I'd done. I think I, I'd done a level two. I don't know if it's similar to um, how the curriculum works out there, but like our our primary internship, the, long the longer one. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. I think I started it after a level. No, I did start it after one of my level twos. So it was like right after that, I I decided to do a podcast. I I and I remember sending an email to my professors like, "Hey, I want to start this podcast," and I had to do this long description of what a podcast was. And I think even then, some of them were like, "I have no idea what she's talking about." And um, <laughs> she's going to do a radio show. But yeah, because that's what I think what they're like. So she thinks she's starting a radio show. <laughs> Yes, because so it was so new. And uh, but then after I graduated, you know, it started taking traction. So they were like, can you come, you know, do an article for us and talk about the podcast and things like that. So so when so you finished in middle or end of 2013? Then? I am um, like April ish, yeah. 2013. Yeah. And where did you go? What was your where did you work? What did you do after that? Did you move? Did yeah. you stay? I um so I started at um a children's hospital. And I at the time when I graduated, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I always I I initially thought that I wanted to work with patients um like on a TBI team. I'd done more like inpatient. And I didn't necessarily think I wanted to work with adults. Um, but it's just kind of crazy the 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 path life takes you on. And so I ended up um, interviewing for a children's hospital and I really fell in love with outpatient working with kids. So I I started there um, in 2013 as a full-time occupational therapist. And I had never done a level two um, in outpatient. I'd only done like early intervention. So it was like a totally different world to me, the the outpatient pediatric setting. Yeah. mm Mm-hmm. And how long, how long did you stay there or are you still there? Who knows? So, yeah, um, like I said, it kind of, life just takes you on a crazy path. So I started OT GoTo um, as a, a student. Then I graduated. I continued the podcast, but like I mentioned, the podcast got, uh, or my website got a virus. It was just too much to maintain. And um, 
to be honest, at the time, because podcasting was so new, mm. um, my employers felt like maybe it would be a conflict of interest. I think that at that time it was so new that they were afraid of um, me giving advice that then parents would take. And, you know, there was no way to really control how advice was taken yeah, or, yeah. Um, you know, it's like the whole spiel people say like, you know, seek a medical professional, you know, do you ever feel like sometimes you need to say that at the beginning? Which is, I, ha- is I have, I have put warning in my, my current episode that I've just released about colonized thinking. I had to put a, a warning saying like, this is not, uh, if you're going to use this as a learning tool, like you need to use it in conjunction with something. You cannot just use this episode. There's not, it's not thorough enough. It's just a conversation like, yeah. So yes, right. I definitely exactly. have. And I've put trigger warnings and that sort of stuff. I definitely am well aware of, uh, yeah, yeah, having to do that for some things. Yeah. For a second there, I was thinking you had you put the like ex- <laughs> the swear wording, the explicit. I'm like, what kind, <laughs> what kind of crazy stuff are you talking about? No. <laughs> I have dropped some du- no, trigger dropped some Donald Ducks on a. We, on a we need to stick an E next to your podcast. I tried yeah, that once. I think I did that once. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah, but, if it says um, it, but. that's so funny but so I think at that time yeah there it was just yeah so they they said you know we're not sure if you can keep it up the podcast I got a virus and so I just kind of let it go which is unfortunate because looking I mean now it would be I mean I'd be coming up on like a million episodes eight years yeah Yeah. (laughs) be the Joe Rogan of OT mm mm-hmm and so I jumped into full-time and I actually something that I, I kind of thought would be interesting to talk about is I actually got major burnout. Okay. Uh, and I think, I mean, I think that's something that probably a lot of therapists can relate to, but especially at the I, moment, it seems to be a, a hot topic, especially in the States. Oh, I mean, it's a, it's happening everywhere, but I think the States uh, are actually talking about it more. Right. Yeah. I, I think that I was kind of unprepared for the amount of workload that it was going to be. I mean, it's patients every hour on the hour, Um, we do 10 hour shifts. And so you would sometimes have nine patients in a day, Mm. you know, and working a 40 hour week and it's, it was a lot of paperwork and things like that. So, uh, that's been a big mission of mine now is actually helping, um, some of my coworkers and just trying to create that work environment to help with the burnout, because I think it's a huge issue that we're really facing. And in fact, they've done a lot of research on OTs Mm. having a really high burnout rate for sure. So your burnout, like what, what, what what was it? How did it present? How did you know, like, Oh, I'm burned out. Like, what did it feel Um, like? What happened? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm sure, you know, that maybe some therapists can relate to this, that, um, I think it started with feeling, and this feels bad to say, but I think a lot of people probably can relate that like a patient would cancel and um, you you would feel a sense of relief. And although you, I adored my patients um, and I, I, I really feel like, you know, that I I gave them my all. It was like, I can't do all this. I need a break. And so when I started noticing that I, um, was really my day when it was a good day. It was like, Oh, you know, I had three cancels, which is horrible because I genuinely cared about my patients and it's why I do what I do. But I was so drained physically and emotionally by the end of the day that I couldn't keep it up. Yeah, yeah. And, um, 
I mean, there were a lot of other signs like um, not sleeping well or um, staying staying up late, not not eating healthy. I mean, I think it carried over probably a lot of the graduate school habits of just like this overachievement. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then into into work where it just really started to wear me down um, to the point where I actually ended up quitting. Um, and I kind of to the extreme, I not only quit, I sold all of my belongings. Okay. Like, like this, yeah, this, is, this is extreme. Yep. yep. Um, I sold all my belongings. I moved out of my apartment. I got a storage unit and I bought a one-way ticket to Europe. This sounds like a movie. Right? Well, so <laughs> I know it kind of is. So, um, and I mean, there were a lot of other things going on in my life at the time I was, um, I was going through a divorce. I was a new student. I mean, it was a tough time. So we called it, or I called it eat love Prague. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it should be a book. Okay. Somebody else wrote it. Um, you can adapt me, it. You can adapt it. But, uh, so, and I bought a one-way ticket and I told my boss, I don't know if I'm coming back and I don't know if I want to be an OT. So I went from like this one extreme of like, I love OT. I have a podcast too. I don't know if I ever want to do this again. And I, and it's, I think important to point out that there are obviously a lot of other things going on at the time, but I think what it really came down to is I wasn't caring for myself. So I couldn't really care for my patients, um, at the time. So I, I backpacked for probably, I think it was until my visa ran out. So like three or four months, I backpacked all through Europe. Um, and then I came home cause my visa ran out and it was kind of like, Oh, what now? What do I do? Yeah. I still have student loans. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. I, you know, I spent eight years pursuing a career and, and what am I going to do? And so I ended up um, doing a lot of PRN work, like transitional care facilities and stuff like that. But then eventually I just, I made my way back to pediatrics, actually the exact same hospital that I got hired the first time. And they let, they were like, totally welcomed me back, like arms wide open. Did you, did so you not feel of, like a bit hesitant going back to like the yeah, same situation? I did. And I think I kind of dipped my toe in the water. So I started at like, I'm going to, I'll do one day a week. I'll do 10 hours. And then I'm going to do PR in a bunch of other places, which um, also was stressful because then I had like six different, you know, PR and OT jobs. So yeah, that was yeah. a little bit um, So I did, I did 10 hours and I worked up to 20. And then anyway, now I'm up to 36. So almost a full time. <laughs> I worked, I worked my way um, back up, but along the way, I had to make a lot of changes. Um, and really, that's been my goal coming back is how to change this work culture that we have yeah. of working ourselves into the ground and how can we take care of ourselves while still taking care of our patients. So it's kind of interesting how my roles evolved with that too. So, so with your, because I. And I've spoken about it on the podcast before. I've also been through that sort of burnout thing. And um, as we spoke about before, like we were both many moons ago, like really involved in promoting the profession and just absolutely in love with it. And one of the things that I noticed um, when I got burned out and I sort of made the conscious choice, like I have to pull back from a lot of these uh, 
I, I call them extracurriculars. So like OT related things mm-hmm. that aren't my job. Um, right. One of the things I noticed having to do that, it was almost this, like I knew that I had to do it to look after myself, but I almost had this like guilt on top of mm-hmm. all of the other stuff that was going on. Did you find similar? Cause I know you were again, like really passionate about OT and then ha- all of a sudden having these feelings like I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Did you, all, mm-hmm. did you have a similar thing on top of that? Like, like I did, I guess. Right. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think the guilt kind of compounds the whole situation because, um, I was feeling burned out and, but then on top of that, I was telling myself like, well, um, you should be better at this. Like there's other people that are doing it. What if, um, what if you can't do this or you're not, uh, meant to be a therapist? Mm. I think there's a lot of internal dialogue that happens and that thinking totally, it wears you down and it continues to impact how you feel about yourself and then how, um, how you are, how you behave as a therapist. Cause if you're feeling run down, you really can't be a hundred percent present either. I think, so- I think that's one of the things I've noticed too with therapists that do go through burnout is a lot of the time, pretty much exactly like you just described, they internalize the issue. Mm-hmm. Instead of, because uh, a lot of the issues around burnout are systemic. They're outside of you know our control. They're due to systems putting pressures and deadlines mm-hmm. and KPIs and all of that stuff that we're trying to fit into, and we're not equipped, I guess, to right. either do that much work or do it that rapidly or deal with that much pressure and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I've heard a lot of OTs that you know, when they hit that point of like, oh, I can't do this. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe, or they'll start blaming the profession. It's like, oh, I hate OT. It's all about this. I'm like, it's it's not, it's hard to see right now, but I can guarantee you it's not the profession. It's not you. It's Mm -hmm. all of these other things, but uh, yeah, just an observation. I think I was making, yeah. yeah. I think it was something that I've also you know, coming back with my, um, just new perspectives, so to speak of, you know, returning back to a profession and at the exact same place that I thought I was going to leave forever. Um, it really made me also want to reach out to my coworkers. And, um, as I'm training a new employee, that's one of the first things that I talk about is for a student is like, okay, this is, this is, what it looks like to be an OT. This is a lot that maybe we don't talk about in school as much. The productivity demands, the, you know, short time between patients, the really hard patients that you're going to see. And in, in pediatrics, we do. And I, I think probably across the board, we see some really hard stuff. And, um, and then you have to pick back up and the next patient's there at the top of the hour, you know? Um, and so I kind of said that at the, that understanding that there will be times when it's hard and what can, what skills can we set in place now to help you restore? And, um, so that when you start your day and your next patient that you feel like you can, and that you can, um, be the therapist that you want to be instead of, um, just the survival mode. So we have, I think I've really tried to create a place where people can talk about it. Um, and in doing so, what's kind of an interesting is that not only have I created that kind of culture 
at, at work, but also it's translated into the parent, the parents um, of the children that I treat. And that's been one of the coolest things is that we can kind of have this open dialogue of they also get tremendous burnout. Yeah. Yeah. I have a parent with a child with a chronic illness. I think, um, although we're treating the, the patient, which is the child, the parents are dealing with a lot. And I think that's something that I didn't really acknowledge early on because I was going through my own burnout. Yeah. And now I see it. I see it in the parent. Like, oh, wow. I see those signs. I see, um, I understand in, uh, in a different way what that feels like. And I think when you're, when you're in the thick of it yourself, like it's hard to see that playing out with other people. Like it's hard for you to be able to identify that, you know, this parent is burned out or, you know, they need a break. Something needs to give there. If you're at that point yourself, like it's kind of almost your brain goes into survival mode where it just sort of like protect yourself, protect yourself. And you're mm-hmm. not seeing as much, whereas now, I'm assuming that you mm-hmm. are in a much better place and you can actually step back and see their situation a little more objectively uh, for what's actually happening with them. It's not that that view isn't being clouded by you know what's going on with you as much. Right, right, and I think we have better outcomes when I can really relate to the parents and we can um they feel that trust with me and we can really talk about some of that hard stuff i think that the outcomes do improve too so that's something that i'm in the works of is actually creating and this will be the first time that's ever offered at this hospital um is a parent uh a parent kind of like resiliency um stress reduction program okay for parents of children with chronic illness or chronic disabilities. So that's awesome. uh, we're going to be starting a, a program for them. So not only are we treating their child, but the hope is to make it a free service that they can come once a week and there'll be a, a mindfulness practice or meditation practice, um, maybe even like some yoga or movement, but they can take some time for themselves and, and learn, um, how to to cope in the with with what they're going through instead of always focusing on the child what can they do to heal and um although we may never be able to change what their child's diagnosis is we can um really change the way that we react and we can we can heal so that's my big thing is starting to help with the parents as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's wicked. So one of the things I want to do a deep dive in, because I feel like you're the right person to do this with, yes. <laughs> is mindfulness. Now, it's something that is, I think even five, six years ago, most people would have gone, oh, it's like hippie stuff. Whereas it's right. like making this massive, it's not even a resurgence, it's just a surgence <laughs> into healthcare mm-hmm. and particularly OT because I do think it fits really well with OT. Let's start with the basics. What is mindfulness? <laughs> You're right. Yes. I feel like mindfulness is such a buzzword. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you see mindful everywhere. Everything. It's like, um, 
you know, everything has mindful on it. Yeah. Like mindful groceries and, yeah. you know, mindful, yeah, I've you know. seen that. <laughs> they have like a brand of butter or something. I swear that I saw that was like, had the word mindful in it. And I'm like, how does that, how is this butter mindful? Um, so we see it everywhere, but the way that um, I define mindfulness is John Zinn, the way that he defines it is mindfulness is paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment. So it sounds really simple. Um, and the definition that I really like that I give kids is, um, let me see, it's mindfulness. Let's hold on. Oh, mindfulness is paying attention in a particular way um, with kindness and curiosity and then choosing our behavior. And that, so that was Amy Saltzman's definition. So mindfulness is really, if we break it down, it's intentional. So we are intentionally being present and aware of what's happening in the present moment. So most of us spend our life on autopilot. We, you know, the best definition is like the driving to work and suddenly you pull up and you have no idea how you got there. Your mind's been totally somewhere else. I've done that many and, times, which is worrying. Yeah, I totally have too. Or then you, yeah, or you missed your exit and you're like, how did I end up in this totally other area? You know, <laughs> your mind is like gone. And unfortunately, that's how we live a lot of our lives is that we are just jumping from thing to thing. We're so preoccupied. Um, and there's really this distraction all the time there. And, you know, social media is a big, one of those big distractions I know for myself included. And so we're, we are acting in this autopilot. A lot of the time we may not even be realizing it. So being mindful means intentionally coming back to the present moment. And one of the ways that we can do that is our senses. So, um, noticing our breath or um, things that we see around us, the sounds, the smells. So really tuning into the present moment. That's one of the, the, the easiest things for me is to really focus on my breath. That kind of helps bring me back to my body or I like feeling, you know, the soles of my feet on the ground. Um, and it sounds silly, but one of the things that I am notorious for doing and I do work at an outpatient hospital. Luckily, they have like beautiful grassy areas, but sometimes you'll see me walking in the grass with my shoes off in the summer. And people are probably like, who is this strange lady? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like sometimes we need something to pull us out of this like constant noise in our head into the present moment. And so for me, it's kind of it, a lot of it is being outside. And um, so it's intentional. Um, we talked about the autopilot. Um, and then a big piece of it is this curiosity and kindness in the words of Amy Saltzman. So it's being really curious and that could be curious about the world around us. Um, but it's also being curious about our thoughts mm -hmm. and curious about the way that we respond um, or react rather. So the more that we can be curious about, huh, why do I always have that thought or why does this bother me? Or um, noticing the thoughts that come up before we have a knee-jerk reaction. If we can be curious about them, then we can change them. We have the power yeah, yeah. of that pause, that pause in between to like decide what am I going to do. Um, so this curiosity too. 
um, and non and non judging, and that means non judging ourselves and non judging of others as well. So that's kind of the long version. No, <laughs> maybe hopefully that was helpful. That made it really um, clear. That's probably the clearest I've ever had it uh, explained. Because I think one of the things, like one of the ways I've I have explained it, um, but also had it explained to me, is it's about putting space between thoughts and decisions. Totally. So I think in that instance, people or the person was explaining it that, you know, we have these thoughts that, you know, would generally uh, inform our decisions, but then the space in between is often filled with, you know, thoughts of the future, thoughts of the past, thoughts of what's going for dinner, thoughts of I'm running late, when's the bus coming, all these other, like, stuff that, you know, just happens. Sometimes random. Yeah. our head is, yeah, I mean, sometimes not even helpful. <laughs> Quite often not even helpful. <laughs> Me um, too. So it was, their explanation was about trying to, I guess, clear the space between, I guess, the useful information that you're out thinking and being able to then make better decisions because it's not all muddied up and cloudy in there. Um, right. The other thing, there's a couple of things I want to clear up because I've heard, I've heard lots of things. I speak to lots of people and I've heard lots of things. Um, and one yeah. other thing that I think with regards to mindfulness that often gets grouped together is meditation. Right. Uh, what would you, or how would you explain the difference? Like, are they different? Is it the same thing? Right. Um, so I think the way that I like to explain it is that, so meditation can be, um, a mindfulness practice, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to meditate to be mindful, if that makes sense. So like we talked about with mindfulness, it could be as simple as, you know, being the crazy person like me walking out on the grass with bare feet, you know, or sitting outside and listening to the birds or, you know, just being present, um, in your body, but it can also be, or actually, so those are what I consider an informal practice. So informally being mindful, um, and your day to day, which is kind of the goal for a lot of us. Um, but there's a formal practice and formal practice is traditionally a seated meditation practice. So when we meditate, um, that can be a part of our formal practice and it can be sitting, it can be lying down. It can actually also be walking. There are some walking meditations as well. So a lot of people think that you have to be sitting cross-legged with your hands in a mudra and that's not true. You can really be in really any way that feels comfortable for you. And if meditation isn't for you, if sitting or lying down, um, or even walking meditation doesn't speak to you. And that's not, um, if, if it doesn't resonate with you, then, um, you can have those informal practices. So to me, they're not exclusive. You don't have to, you don't have to meditate to be mindful. If that yeah. makes sense. There's lots of other ways you can be mindful. I have done a walking one before. Uh, I remember doing <laughs> a, it was like a staff bonding day, like a team team building day thing that we had when I in an old clinical team that I was in. Uh and uh this guy was running it. He he was a mental health nurse, but still to this day, I still know him. He's still probably one of the most amazing mental health clinicians I've met. Um, but he's really he's he's Buddhist. I 
I may be misquoting him there. Um, really into mindfulness, really into like acceptance and commitment therapy, that kind of stuff. Uh, and he got us doing this exercise where it was kind of, and I'm sure it has a name, but I don't know it, but it was like a circular maze thing. And mm-hmm. you walks slowly. I think you're walking to the pace of your breath and you were mm-hmm. essentially trying, I think the, uh, this is a long way back, so I may be butchering this, but the <laughs> idea was to like think, all of your thoughts, whatever was going in your head, like take note of everything on the way in because it kind of went into the middle and oh. then back out. Um, oh, interesting. And it was, and then on the way out was to, okay, you've already thought those things. That's all the day-to-day stuff that's going in your head. On the day out, it was to set an intention for, well, for us, it was like the year. It was like at the start of the year for the team. Oh, I like that. So it was like, you know, get all of that stuff out of the way. And then it was almost like, the physical act of moving to the center of this maze um, almost, I guess, put a like a physical deadline on, okay, like you've, you've thought this, you've acknowledged all these thoughts. Now on the way out, you don't have to think them and you can think about what you want to get, what you want to achieve this year, what you want to do with, the, with your year. Um, that's the only right. physical one that I've ever done. <laughs> But it was, I found it really, it was an interesting experience because I was a little bit, at the time, I was quite skeptical of it. And I'm like, well, this just seems weird. It's like a <laughs> bunch of adults standing in a park, walking around in a circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought the same thing when I've done But it was really walk. good. Yeah. And he- I thought, that's one of my thought, I call them thought bubbles. Like the thought that pops in my head is like, do people, like, what do they think we're doing? Like just a lot of it's walking back and forth and you're in a group just silently. Yeah. So I still think it, it would be pretty funny to see somebody's reaction. Well, that was one of <laughs> one of my thoughts going into the maze was looking around to see if anyone was watching us. Cause I'm like, this would look, cause everyone's looking at the ground when they're walking. Cause they're following, yeah. following the lines on the ground. And I'm like, this would uh-huh. look like some kind of weird cult or something. Just watching all of these people walk around this maze. But, right, but it was very effective. I was pleasantly surprised at how effective it actually was. Uh, and his thing, I guess, part of his lesson with that is the integration of physical movement with mindful mm-hmm. practice. Uh, right. He he was kind of pushing that it was made, I guess, made it more effective, or some people found it easier than just mm-hmm. um, some of the, like you said, like more just sitting there and going right. going through different practices. I think it can be a lot more comfortable, especially if people have um, back pain or knee pain. Um, but mindfulness has also been, it's also practiced to um, help people with chronic pain. Um, but it's, it's something that you, you mentioned about your thoughts is like you were aware, like I'm having this thought mm. and people probably weird (laughs) you know but um how long did that thought last for you was it like the whole way around or did it kind of come and go no it was like because i think all like say the walk in maybe would have been minutes uh Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like for me anyway it wasn't like one thought the whole time it was like all of these all of these different things that were popping into my head right as i went so that's a yeah that's a perfect example is that i think 
you know, one of the misconceptions as, as well is that w with mindfulness, we're supposed to be controlling our thoughts. So one of the things that I hear a lot is like, well, I tried meditating, but I have thoughts. That's like, well, yeah. So I failed. Like, <laughs> that's part of what we're here for and what mindfulness is, is that, you know, our mind is never going to be completely blank. Yeah. I mean, it might be for a moment, but then another thought's going to pop in. And so that's what we're doing with mindfulness is we're noticing like what's going on in my head. Like I'm outside, I'm walking this maze and I'm having weird thoughts or, you know, or I'm stuck on this thing. So we're noticing what those thoughts are, but the key difference is that we're not getting attached to them. Mm. Um, we're not trying to change them. We're not getting overwhelmed by them. And we're not even avoiding them. We're just kind of noticing like, huh, that was an interesting thought and allow it to pass. So it's kind of like you're seeing a movie of all your thoughts and feelings yeah, happening without having to be controlled by them. And how amazing is that if we could kind of live more of those challenging situations in our life where we weren't so overwhelmed or avoidant of our thoughts and feelings, but we could just kind of notice it like, huh, that's interesting that that came up. It's interesting. And they're not always true. It, you know, our thoughts aren't, our thoughts aren't facts. No, uh, mine are definitely sometimes lies. <laughs> mine aren't my, my brain always tries to trick me. But um, that's, is it, one thing I have noticed just specifically with regards to that is how, and this is going to sound stupid when I say it out loud, I realize now, how I process those individual oh, thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a fact. Soon tell. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> How I process those individual thoughts is very much how I operate day to day. And I was just reflecting on this just then as you were talking. Um, because my issue with regards to, uh, like noticing a thought, letting it pass is every thought that comes in, I want to action it right there and then. So I'll be like, you know, it might be something like, Oh, I wonder what's for dinner tonight. And it'll be like, okay, now, right now, because that thought has popped in, I need to work it out, plan it out, work it out. What am I going to do? Where do I need to go? That mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I struggle, like I always, always was easily able to, uh, like acknowledge that the thought existed, but my issue was not actioning it immediately, like as soon as it popped right. in my head, because then I would get distracted from what I was actually doing. Um, yeah. And I found, I found the same thing with my workflow at work, uh, and something that I'm currently working on, uh, a new way of, I guess, operating is not trying to action every single thing that comes into my office or into my email box immediately and mm -hmm. rather putting everything into like a, essentially like a to-do list type program. Mm hmm. And it might not get actioned for a couple of hours and even, but that's okay. No one's like, I work at a university. No, right. no one's going to die if I don't reply to the email immediately. But right. what I've found is it has created the space for me to actually focus on what I'm doing and I'm not trying to multitask on things and I'm getting stuff done so much quicker by not doing wow. things immediately. Mm -hmm. See how dumb that sounds when I say it out loud? <laughs> No, Duh. I feel like that should be the new <laughs> definition of mindfulness. Like your brain is an inbox. It is, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to respond immediately to every email, you know? Like I think sometimes that space of maybe waiting, you have time to also process like what do I want to do with that task? Mm. How do I want to respond to the person instead of the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, 
so yeah, allowing space. No, I think that, that, that totally makes sense. And I think, I think we need more of that, more of um, being intentional instead of reactive. And that could be our inbox or, you know, the way that we treat other people or, or treat ourselves. One of the other things I've, I hear, well, I don't hear this, but it confuses me. I hear lots of people, like you were saying at the start, like mindful this and mindful that. Everything's mindful nowadays. Mm-hmm. There's mindful eating and mindful walking and mindful talking and probably mindful <laughs> podcasting somewhere. Soon, me. Yeah, yeah. See, this is mindful <laughs> podcasting right now. Yeah, just you wait. It's coming. <laughs> and you've already sort of highlighted, and I, I have experience in some of those – guess you'd call them exercises that might say meditation is an example that is sort of designed to, I guess, snap you back into more of a mindfulness state of mind. So it's designed to help bring you back to the present. Mm, Okay. Mm -hmm. How does that differ from something like mindful eating or let's see, let's use mindful eating as an example, because I've heard that a lot recently. How does that differ from actually doing something mindfully? So there's, to me, it seems like a lot of things with regards to mindfulness are in two categories. It's either designed to bring you back into being mindful or your design, or it's designed to train you to do something mindfully, if that, okay. make, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm making sense. Is that making no, sense? No, you're good. Keep going. I'm good. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, and I can kind of tell by the look on your face that maybe you don't see these as two different things. So give me, so give me another example. Like, so you said mindful eating, like thinking about eating mindfully is different than eating mindfully. Like, no, so yeah. Explain, give me another example. So meditation, the whole purpose okay. of meditation is to bring you back into that mindful mindset. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's not much purpose to it. Like you, well, I think, no one meditates just to meditate. Oh, I see what you're saying. Whereas okay. uh-huh. things like there's like, let's say mindful activities where you are uh-huh. doing the activity and trying to be mindful while you do it. So if I'm walking, I'm <laughs> trying to be mindful while I'm walking. Like I'm paying attention to like the feel of the ground, the pressure of my feet, okay. the wind, the sun, whatever else is going on. And I'm trying to be very present in that activity. But the purpose right. of the activity is still whatever the activity is, as opposed to mindfulness, as opposed to meditation, which is the purpose is to bring you into a mindful mindset. Okay. That's probably a better way of explaining what I, I mean. I think I get what you're saying. So I think, I think something that also that came to mind, like as you were talking is like, I think that's a really good point. Like if we're, if we're thinking about like, I need to do this mindfully. I want to, yeah. I want to be, I want to walk mindfully, but then it turns into this whole thing of like, how would I do this mindfully? Is this mindful? Like where's my mind really at? Mm. Am I really being in the present moment or am I preoccupied on <laughs> what okay. mindfulness is? Yeah. Mindfulness is, it's really, um, being uh, being in the present moment and if i'm thinking about am i doing this right am i being mindful then i'm not in the present moment i'm really not here i'm judging how i am doing my mindfulness practice yeah so and i think that can show up too is like 
I, I for sure have that sitting in, on my mat or doing a meditation. I'll think to myself like, um, oh, you should be doing this. Like, oh, you need to, you need to sit up straighter. You need to do, the, do this. I don't know. I'll have some internal dialogue show up. And as soon as that happens, it's a realization of like, okay, now I'm thinking about being mindful. That's not really being here. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know if that answer is your question. I think sometimes we make mindfulness more complicated than it really is. We get so caught up in like, am I doing this right? How should I do this? Or, you know, um, if you feel like, that um you feel present and you um feel like you're acting with intention then then you're doing it there's not really any yeah. other magic thing that you need to do you, you know because i think that's one of the but i don't know if I have a question no 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 it does because I, I think one of the issues that i've always found in trying to yes implement it more in my own life is it ends up being more of a almost like a a commodity where I'm like, I am going to do 15 minutes yeah. of mindfulness. And I'm like, why? Like, what, what am I being mindful about? Like, am I just realizing that I'm sitting in a room doing nothing? Like what, what am I actually, and that, that could be depending on what I'm doing it for, but I I wonder how effective it is just to do that. And I guess I'll probably just answer my own question and it probably depends on why you're doing it um you know i don't even think that you always have to go into a mindfulness practice with a goal i think that that's one of the big things we think we always have to do something Mm. to achieve something like there has to be a reason i exercise because i want this so if i do i'm doing mindfulness i need to do it for this and um i think the interesting thing with mindfulness is that uh you never really know what's going to show up. So if you're sitting and meditating or you're just being, um, you know, going on a mindful walk, like you spoke to, it's really, um, about just being in the moment. So you might be interested of like, wow, all these thoughts are popping in my head that I've been stuffing under the surface all day long. Like for me, my, something I've had to realize is my need to achieve, 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 you know, um, starting OT go to like building all these programs for the hospital, um, having my own business incorporate mindfulness. Also, um, I achieve a lot for my self-worth. I want to do that. So I feel good about myself and I feel successful and, um, all these things. But when I, uh, slow down and I'm just kind of still with myself, I can kind of realize what am I there might be some things that I'm trying to do to um, achieve or, or there might be some reasons that I'm overachieving or doing these things because deep down there are some other thoughts or feelings. So it's really kind of about unpeeling these layers that we do throughout our day that really kind of cover what might be hiding under the surface, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of just being like, I, I, I kind of treat it like just hanging out with myself, like, huh, Okay, Michelle, what's really going on now that you have nothing to do but sit here? What is going to show up today? Yeah. Are you thinking about this? Are you planning for this? Are you worried about this? And just kind of taking an inventory of like of what's going on with me. And yeah, so I don't know. It's not, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a goal driven. It just can be kind of trying to figure out what's going on in our heads and <laughs> all that. Yeah, because I think one of the things, one of the, not a big misconception, but one of the misconceptions that I see is that mindfulness is for relaxation. Mm. 
Right. And it's yes, it's, that's one of the biggest that's ones. Not necessarily the case that some people may use it for that if they can't. Like I've used it for that uh, usually before bed if my mind's racing and I can't, you know, stop a lot of thoughts or I'm thinking about too much stuff, which is gonna stop me from going to sleep. Then I will. You know, usually I do it with, so I need some auditory input. I need some sensory input because I'm not very good at sitting still. So it's usually mm-hmm. something like rain noises and it's just almost like white noise to try and stop me from being distracted by other mm-hmm. things. Um, mm-hmm. Not music or anything because I just end up getting, like singing or getting distracted by the lyrics. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and using it to acknowledge those thoughts, let them pass, and I find that after I've, you know, done that for 10, 15 minutes, something like that, then I'm, my, my mind isn't racing as much and I can go to sleep. So I have used it for relaxation, but that's like one specific instance. Mm-hmm. It's not the whole, I think a lot of people think that's the whole purpose of mindfulness. Right. And maybe that's just, that's the experience they've been, been exposed to. But I think, yeah, I think I agree. there's a lot a lot wider benefit, just relaxation. Mm-hmm. And I think you're exactly right. You may not feel relaxed. I remember the first like 45 minute meditation I sat through, I was sitting in a chair in a group format. So I just kept having these thoughts like, Oh, I can't sit here any longer. Like, what if I just need to stand up and what if I walk out of the room and I need to stretch and you know, like those thoughts of like, I'm losing it. How are people just sitting here looking so calm? You know, I totally had all those thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it kind of started to get interesting in my, because I'm like, well, why, you know, why um, am I thinking about those things or, or, or why am I having a hard time sitting still? What kind of things am I trying to avoid? I don't know. It, it, it was interesting, but I, I totally agree. I think a lot of people don't give uh, mindfulness a chance or think they're doing it wrong. So they stop and the, tr- and, um, Whatever you're doing is enough. Honestly, if if all you make it to is like two minutes and you're like, okay, I'm done, then that's still two minutes that you sat with yourself and you just did a check-in. So, and if you fall asleep, that's the other thing people ask me, like, well, what if I fall asleep? Then you had a great nap. Like, then don't you were very beat relaxed. yourself up. Yeah, there's times I still fall asleep. Yeah, you know, it happens. So every, it's all it's all good. Because so. I think one of the things, one of the times I have used it and it was really successful was during really high stress periods at work and I set out a number of I guess you'd call them healthy habits types things that I wanted to do each day to try and literally just try and manage uh, like what was going on at work like it was only a set period of time but it was really difficult Um, and one of them was I can't remember exactly. I think it was only five minutes, but I had to go and sit outside for five minutes without any phone, nothing, which is my big downfall because it's usually always the phone. The only thing I had the phone for was the five-minute timer. Other than that, it went in my bag and that was it. Uh And I didn't intentionally set it out to be like a mindfulness thing, but what I found myself doing was just – because these were places like, you know, a bench outside the office or something, like places I'd walk past all the time. 
And what I found myself doing was just looking and listening and taking in more detail around about those different areas that I was seated at that day than I'd ever even sort of noticed. Like one of the places I'd walk past it every day for a semester and I'd never actually, yeah. like when I sat there for five minutes, it was literally only five minutes that I took in more detail, you know, heard noises, found birds that were nesting there, that all this little stuff that you know, seems fairly insignificant, but that I'd, in the bustle of the day, I hadn't even noticed so much of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't intending it to be a mindfulness thing. It was literally just something that I started doing uh, as a, I need to get outside for five minutes to just break up the work day. But I found doing that and observing the environment as in as much detail as I could, especially common environments, stuff that I'd been exposed to fairly regularly before, I found that really, it wasn't relaxation, it wasn't calming, but I found it really head clearing, if that Mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. Um, And I still, I couldn't explain it to you, but I know it works. I don't know why, but it works. Yeah. I had a kid in one of my groups say that mindfulness is like screensaver mode. (laughs) Like, you know, and then a lot of kids are like, what's a screensaver? They're not really a thing anymore. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, do they have screensavers anywhere? I I mean, I don't know, but um, because we're always on our phones, but like, it's kind of this, like, let's give our mind a rest for a moment and just put those things, like what you were saying with the inbox, like, let's put them into a different folder for a moment just to allow a, a, a reset. And that can be five minutes and you were doing mindfulness and it didn't have to be goal directed. Mm. You know, you weren't, you weren't like my intention is to (laughs) be mindful. You were doing it. No, that's it. I just found a different place to sit each day just so I had something different to look at. Mm -hmm. And that was, and like I said, five minutes a day, but the, the, Benefit in even, say, if you want to measure it in productivity for five minutes out of the office was exponential. Like yeah. massive difference on how I, how much longer I was able to focus, how much more I was able to get done by taking five minutes away. And I'm, I'm really bad for that. I'm the dude that will, you know, heat up his lunch and eat it while I keep working kind of thing. Like I'm not good at taking breaks out of the office um but discovering that was kind of like and it seems really obvious to some people maybe but it was like game changing for me i'm like this that was one of the first times where i went like this stuff actually works (laughs) (laughs) i love that yeah exactly i yeah i do the same thing i'll i'll go sit outside for five minutes or um yeah, just take a moment to reset. And I think it makes a huge difference. And they've done research on this too. So, I mean, it's for those people that are like, show thinking, me the articles. Like, well, there's, it's an evidence-based practice. It really is. So um, for burnout, for stress reduction, um, <clears throat> for, you know, helping with uh, even attention and, and focusing and things like that. So, I mean, taking five minutes for yourself, I think it's worth it. Absolutely. What do you think is 
easier no yeah probably the the lowest barrier to entry what's the the best way for people to start to incorporate some of this stuff into their lives like what do you think needs to happen for them to do that to start incorporating mindfulness into their life um I think one of the easiest, I think sometimes the seated practice, the formal practice can be intimidating, just like Mm. we talked about. Um, I mean, there's certainly apps that I can recommend. Insight Timer is one of my favorite. I don't know if you've heard of that, Um, but they have thousands of free resources. Yeah, I can send it to you as well. But um, all the meditations are free and you can search by topic. So say you're like, I only have five minutes. You can put in five minutes. Um, you can search by like stress reduction or sleep or even kid meditation. So I think that is an easy place to start, but also with the understanding that the seated meditation, it may not be for everybody, just like we talked about. Um, but there are a ton of resources. Um, you know, I think different things speak to different people. I, I really like movement. So I let yoga is one of my mindfulness practices. I'm also a yoga instructor. So moving and stretching that really helps me be present and be um, in my body. So that's one of my very probably was one of my first mindfulness practices was yoga. And I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. But after I realized I'm like, wow, that whole hour, I was just I was present. I was in my body. I was focusing on my breath and I wasn't thinking about all these other things. And do you think, because so I've, I've heard that before about yoga, specifically as a mindfulness practice, is it because obviously not a big yoga person myself, uh, but is it is it more because of the concentration and the focus that is required to, I guess, control your body through some of those poses? Is that what sort of makes it such a a valuable mindfulness tool? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's um, a lot of it's focused on the breath. So you're bringing your awareness to your breathing and how you're moving. Um, you're bringing your attention to the sensation of like your hands on the mat. Um, the way that you're balancing in these yoga poses, they, it does require you being um, really aware of where your body's at and really present. And if your your mind starts wandering, which it will, you know, sometimes you fall out of a pose, you know, it's because <laughs> your your mind goes somewhere else. Um, so I, I think it, it's bringing it back to the, the body and the senses. And there's a lot of other things with yoga, some different practices as well that kind of um, bridge that mind, body and spirit. So um, depending on your yoga instructor, they may weave in helping you be aware of your breath, the movement, um, and then um, spirit, like how, and that doesn't mean religion necessarily, but just, um, uh, your higher self, how, how am I feeling today connecting with yourself? So, um, but to answer your question, I would have somebody, I would say maybe check out insight timer. Um, there's, uh, you could try like yoga if that, if that is interested in something interesting for you, there's YouTube or all sorts of things like that. Um, or just like we spoke about, I think taking a five minute break or even three, if all you had and putting your phone down and taking a walk in your office or going outside. But I think even just putting down your phone and just seeing what does it feel like to sit without a distraction such as my phone? Uh, and what do I notice? What can I see, smell, hear, um, 
and you might find you appreciate a lot more things that maybe you didn't notice before. I know that's the case for me for sure. So, um, I think I, that's what I have my, I tell my coworkers is like, take a five minute walk before lunch. Or, um, when you go fill up your water bottle on your lunch break, go like, don't take your phone, walk and just walk. You have no other job, but to walk. And you don't have to be thinking about something. You don't have to be planning. You don't have to be stressing about the future. All you have to do is walk and go fill up your water and see what you notice as you're walking. Yeah. Sounds silly, but no, like, it makes sense. How amazing to just allow yourself to have only a walk, not a planning and a to do list and all the other things. And that's the other. Well, on the flip side of that is how bad is it that we've got to a point where that doesn't happen? It doesn't, right? I, I mean, sometimes I walk in the hall and I'm just as bad as anybody and I've got my phone out. <laughs> I was hanging on to mine just then when you were saying, put your phone down. I'm like, mm-hmm, sorry. Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> see, I told you I'm bad for it. I wasn't even doing anything with it. I was just holding it. It's like a comfort blanket. Yes. It's your comfort. Totally. Well, now, see, your mindfulness practice is to it's practice. Begun. <laughs> see, mindful podcasting. Yes, yeah. you did it. Cause that, and that's it. Like, I think one of the things I did with the, the whole five minute outside thing is for no other reason than, than I thought it was a good idea. I just went through the senses. What can I feel? What can I smell? What can I see? Uh, what can I hear? Like, how do I feel? Kind of did like a, uh, in meditation, they look at like a body check in type thing, right. like start at the bottom, toes, mm-hmm. feet, knees, legs, torso, blah, 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 blah. Um, and just go from there. And I found looking at the observations through some structure, obviously like the senses, that's some structure. Uh, mm-hmm. For my very logical brain, that kind of, that worked for me anyway. That helped, yeah. that helped me. Awesome. That's good. What else do I want to ask? This happens at least once a podcast where I'll forget. Or, or not, or like, you know, something that came to my mind that um, I just thought of as you were talking is like, um, kids are innately mindful, really. I do feel, I mean, it, we're getting our culture is getting more and more distracted, and kids, you know, that are barely walking have iPhones, but <laughs> you know, they know how to navigate an iPhone, yeah, um, probably me, but um. They, if you watch them, they are like, you go outside and they're, you know, they're interested and they find, um, all sorts of things to play with that you never even thought could be something to enjoy, you know? So sometimes I think of mindfulness as seeing the world through a child's eyes of what can I see and appreciate and be curious about the day-to-day moments instead of constantly looking for the next thing, the next thing that's going to make me happy, the next thing that's going to entertain me. Um, because really all we have is, is like, is this moment and, um, and then that moment slips away. So, you know, you're looking down at your phone instead of, um, playing with your child and, and, and enjoying that time with him. Well, then that moment passes and that moment's gone. So if we can put away our phone and really, and be present, then we have that moment that we can never get back. One of the things, and I've always closely linked it with mindfulness just in sort of everyday life, uh, a practice I picked up a few years ago with minimalism, where I was finding, 
just remind what you're saying just then reminded me was you're constantly looking for that next thing. And for me, it was like, you're almost like, oh, if I buy this thing, like, uh, then I'll, mm-hmm. you know, I love that. That'll make me happy. And that happiness lasts about 45 seconds until, totally. you know, yeah. it's out of the box and then it's, okay, what's the next thing kind of thing. And being able to shift my, well, one, being able to actually recognize that that was a pattern that was happening was a, a big deal for me. But then shift my, I guess, attention away from things and realizing that like, the stuff that I had more than likely was more than adequate to do what I wanted to do. Didn't have to replace mm-hmm. everything. Didn't have to buy anything. Mm-hmm. I found that very freeing on terms of and I've read one thing on this but essentially like the more possessions the more uh I guess cluttered my head was and it didn't there was no like direct relation to it it was more a a pattern but Mm -hmm. uh or like a correlation but clearing out a lot of the junk that I had, like I had stuff in drawers, I had stuff in cupboards that I hadn't looked at in years or used forever, clothes that, you know, were probably not fit for a 90s sitcom, <laughs> stuff that I just had just because, or stuff that I had, like the in-case kind of thing, and opening a drawer that was just full of rubbish would, nowadays would probably give me anxiety, but it was... <laughs> It's almost like it took up too much brain space. Mm-hmm. And I found that the physical act of decluttering, I know it's a big buzz thing now with the whole Marie Kondo and all that kind of stuff, but this was before mm-hmm. that, I promise. <laughs> it, that really helped clear, put some space. So mm-hmm. like I had, if I needed something, I had one on, or maybe two options for what I could actually owned to do it mm-hmm. like I, I took away some of the the searching and the decisions and that freed up so much more space to feel like I was enjoying the moment or in the present or rather than forever looking for something or wanting something different because even having multiple uh for example even with this podcast like I've got a I had at one point like four microphones like, what the hell do I need four microphones for <laughs> You have four people over to your house to do an interview sometime. No, that's never going to (laughs) happen. I don't know that many people. No, it's just like everyone I interview for most part. I think I've done one in-person interview in the whole time. It's over Zoom because most people don't live in Australia, Um, especially even if they do. What was that? that? I was going to say, and even if they do, they don't live in my tiny little city. (laughs) So everyone's a long way away from me. So, like, even just that, I'm like, okay, so what microphone am I going to use? Like, why do I even need to put thought into that? Like, why does so why does that need to take up my valuable time and the valuable space that I have between my ears? No, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think when it was interesting when I sold all my belongings and uh, and I just had a tiny storage unit, mm. which was, you know, I kept like a few clothes items but I got rid of all my furniture I never felt freer in that moment because it was I don't need anything really and I started looking at all these things I bought like decorations and things that I really thought would make me happy and when it comes down to it they didn't make me happy they were just things and 
And so when I got rid of them, it actually felt freeing. And then all I had was a backpack. And so I literally circulated through the same, I think like four or five outfits mm. for three, four months. And look, you're still and alive. The same three pair of shoes. Yeah. yeah. And I, and you know what, there was never this anxiety of like, what am I going to, what am I going to wear? Cause it was like, well, I only got the yeah. other outfits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to have to be this, you know, they're just, it took a lot of that that pressure off and the other thing that I learned is that um that you can go anywhere you can do you can travel all these exciting places and I love traveling I've been I've traveled a ton it's one of my passions but when it comes right down to it you're still with yourself Hmm. you know and So although I was traveling all these places, I was still with my thoughts. I was still with those same behaviors. They didn't stay home. They came on the trip with me. And when I was alone sitting on the train, it was still there. And so that's really been my, my thing with mindfulness is you don't need to sell all your belongings and move, you know, to another country. Don't need to to write a book or make a movie. Yeah. Except for, yeah, maybe I should do that. But um, (laughs) do it. pay a little bit better (laughs) but anyway you know it's but happiness is really an internal thing it's not external and that's i think that is when i was talking before about like why are you doing it i think that's the ultimate reason is people want to be happy and if if you're identifying that you know you're not in the present or like I've not, I can't think of a time when someone would start mindfulness or engage in some kind of mindful practice where the ultimate goal wasn't happiness. Like if you're not engaged in the present and you're missing out on, say, like you said before, like your kids' lives, then you're going to do that to be happier and to connect better with them. Or, you know, if you're not being productive at work or you're not enjoying your work anymore because you're not being productive, et cetera, like the ultimate goal in the end, I think, is to be happy. Mm-hmm. So even though, yeah, even though we often, even like you said, we don't do it for a goal. I think that yes. that's a fairly yeah. broad one. We can let that it's one a, slip. It's a, it's a nice byproduct. Yeah. yeah. I think that there's that book, 10% Happier. Like, I, Sam think, I can't remember. Yeah. And people will be like, well, why are you meditating? Uh, you know, it makes me about 10% happier. Yeah. I think what he would literally say. And so people were like, well, I would, you know, I would be down to be 10% happier, you know? So I I think that that's, it's true. So if there's anything that can improve your life, even a a little bit and make you 10% happier, why not try it? Yeah. And that's it. It's uh, five minutes. Start with five minutes, find something Mm -hmm. that you want to do. Um, whether it's sit outside, go for a walk, whatever you do, leave your phone at home uh, or in the car or wherever you are. Um, do something that you can focus on. Start with something simple. Start with focusing on your senses or uh, like you said at the start, like focus on your breath. That's something that works really well for me with regards to meditation is is focusing on my breath because it's something tangible and I can actually do it. I'm not a big fan of the whole uh, – body scan but the focusing on breath i i I quite it works for me so start with Mm -hmm. there's a there's a ton of things i'll put some links to some apps and different things in the show notes um 
but it's a matter of just trying a few things, I think, to find right. what kinds of stuff works for you. And I think one of the things that I found when I first started getting into this kind of stuff many moons ago was once I started getting into it myself, it, it seemed it, it was it became something that I could then help my the clients that I was working with get into as well. And it was the same process and in a way we probably learned a lot about it together as opposed to me being like the expert and you know, mm-hmm. giving them the skills because I definitely won't, wasn't and I still am not even close to anything like that. But it, it's something that, you know, you can share with other people. You can share the learning of the process with other people. Um, I've done various minimalism challenges and mindfulness challenges with, with friends of mine where it's almost like we're going to learn this together. We're going to learn how to do this mm-hmm. and the accountability where I'd go for a walk and I'd be like, I'd get a message to check if I had my phone. Stuff like that. I'm serious. I'm serious. Really? Yeah. Okay. And then if you responded, they knew you. Exactly. If I saw it and it would come up as seen, I'm like, oh, busted. (laughs) So I like, you can learn these things and it's hard. So for some, it's going to be harder for some people than others. Some people, it'll be something that they probably already do and it just didn't have a name. Uh, for other people, right. it'll be really hard and it'll take time, but start small. Start small, build up. We're OTs. We should be good at that. Totally. Yeah. Good at grading. I think mindfulness is innate for us OTs. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, if just as you spoke to, if you don't feel like an expert, I think probably uh, you are being, you're really present with your patients and the way that you respond to them and treat them and um, help them be more aware of uh, how they're thinking or feeling or, or their goals. I think that you're, you're probably um, putting more mindfulness into your own practice than you realize. And I think sharing in this human experience too, that none of us are perfect and we're all trying to figure out what this means together. So really sharing in that experience together, I think can be really bonding for coworkers and um, for patients alike of this, connection like we're all trying to we're all trying to do this thing together we're trying to get through this and we can help each other so rising tide raises all ships (laughs) it does (laughs) yeah because i think that's that'll be the key takeaways i think is one it's it's gonna be different for everyone it's not just for relaxation it's something you can incorporate into your life anywhere any any aspect of your life, you can probably find a way to be more mindful in it. Uh, and it's it's going to be very individual to you. Some people will need that structure of, you know, say a guided meditation. Other people might just sit outside and look at the trees and listen to the birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the go with incorporate mindfulness? Tell me about that. I know. I love how many times we've said how can we incorporate mindfulness? And I'm like, it's the perfect yeah, name. The it just fits. Isn't it amazing? It's so good. I know. It's like we've set, we've given so many plugs without even knowing. It's almost we like you planned that name. <laughs> well, um, so incorporate mindfulness. Uh, it, it started out really as a website for me to be able to um, share upcoming groups that I have. So I, 
I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I primarily have been doing kids mindfulness groups so far for children ages eight to 12. And I use Dr. Amy Saltzman's A Still Quiet Place curriculum. Um, I'm trained in her curriculum, but it's also a free, uh, I'm not a free, it's a book that you can purchase if uh, say you have a child that you wanted to try some of the things. It has the whole eight weeks laid out. Um, so it's something that if people are interested, they can definitely look into. It's called A Still Quiet Place. Um, but I'm certified actually to um, lead her her programming, or I took her training, I should say. Um, so I teach, I started out the website just as a way to let people know what groups I was running um, and things like that. But then I've also, it's really evolved um, into, uh, I have just had so many people reaching out to me asking how to learn more about mindfulness and mindfulness resources. So I have just started recording more audio content coming back to my old podcast roots. Um, so I don't have a podcast yet. yet. Um, my hope is to eventually, I know. We, we talked about a mindful podcast. It's going to be me. <laughs> um, but I started recording uh, different lessons, basically, that I, uh, a different topic every week. So there's a topic on noticing your thoughts and feelings, like we talked about. Um, there's one that talks about noticing positive events in our lives um, or responding. How do we respond to negative things happening in our life. Um, and so all of that's available on my website, incorporatemindfulness.com. And if you go under mindfulness resources, you'll see there's some audio content and that's free for anybody to listen to. If you are interested in mindfulness or interested in um, teaching your child mindfulness, a lot of the audio content is tailored more to how to teach mindfulness to children. But I personally find that um, teaching it to mindfulness or teaching mindfulness to children has made the concepts a lot more clear for me. I think that it, it just mm. even adults it makes a lot more sense because it's really clear and simple. Yeah. Sometimes we just need simple. Um, and they're typically not more than 20 minutes, I think is the longest. So I have some audio content there. Um, I've done some, I've, I do retreats and, um, and uh, different like work team building stuff. So I have um, resources there and things like that. So, but really, I mean, the, my mission of incorporate mindfulness is um, my, one of my sayings is creating positive change through more mindful moments. So that's really what my mission is, is that I, I truly believe that we can create positive change in our lives and the lives of our family members or friends or coworkers or patients through having more mindful moments. And, um, and that can be as simple as just being present with that person um, or listening and talking and having a conversation instead of looking down at our phone. I mean, there's so many ways that we can have those mindful moments like we talked about. And I, I really do feel like there can be a ripple effect and a change. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of my hope is to really spread mindfulness because it's changed my life and I really feel like it can help others too. That's awesome. I don't know if I could summarize that any better. Oh, I don't Amazing. know. <laughs> Amazing. Where can people find you if they wanted oh. to look you up, check you out, check out your mindfulness stuff, your resources, that kind of stuff? 
I'll throw all the links and yeah. stuff in the in the show notes. But where can absolutely yeah. And I'll send you, I have um, some other mindfulness resources I'll send your way as well as like five to 10 different things, like ideas to make your day more mindful. You know, I know we said it's not intention based, but I have like, like, you know, some simple things that we can do. So I give them out to little on little cards to people. And so I'm happy to send those your way as well. But um, yeah, so you can find me on Facebook at incorporate mindfulness and again, my website is incorporatemindfulness.com. On Instagram, uh, my Instagram handle is Michelle's Mindful Moments. And I just moved, so I haven't been super active on it lately because, you know, life is just busy. But um, my hope is to keep posting more just mindful tips and strategies and, um, yeah, it, just the day-to-day things that help me be mindful. And yeah, I think if anybody has any questions, you can all, they can, I'm happy for people to email me. It's Michelle at incorporate mindfulness.com and I can answer any questions or if I can help uh, people support them in their practice, I would love to do that. So awesome. You are a legend. You are amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for having a catch up after so long. No, it's like no time has passed. I, I know, know, right? I now pass the, I've passed the torch to you, and you're doing amazing things. Have. Yeah, oh, I don't know about amazing things, but I'm doing things. <laughs> we'll make it work. We'll make it happen. You're doing great things, yeah. Well, I think the connection is huge, and you're connecting a lot of people, a lot of really cool OTs together, so I love that. I like, I like, uh, I like that idea. I like finding people, and I always have with MH for OT, all of that stuff. Like I've always wanted to showcase to a lot of people some of the work that they just wouldn't normally see because there's OTs doing some amazing stuff all over the place. And yeah, you know, you hear about big names in OT with their textbooks and journal articles and all that sort of stuff. But there's so much cool stuff going on in this profession that, you know, most people don't even get to hear about because it's sort of small scale and there's no voice. So I guess I want, I like to, to put a voice to it. And you are one of those people doing cool shit that people need to hear about. So <laughs> well, bravo for being you. Thank you so much. 